I know something about you. I know that you want purpose in your life. You want your life to have meaning. You need a reason to get out of bed in the morning. God has a purpose for you. Almost every Sunday, I tell you that our purpose as a church is to inspire people to follow Jesus. If you don't know Christ, we want to inspire you to follow Jesus. Uh, we want everyone who engages with our church online or in person uh, to follow Jesus, be changed by Jesus, and be on mission with Jesus. What does it mean to be on mission with Jesus. It comes from Jesus' words. Jesus said, follow me and I will send you out to fish for people. You follow me and I will change you so that you can be on mission with people. Now, some synonyms we can use for being on mission with Jesus might be see yourself as a full-time minister for Christ everywhere you go. Make a difference in the world for Christ. Serve people for Christ. Whether you're a student, single, married, divorced, widowed, parent or empty nester, you are a representative for Christ wherever you go. Jesus was raised from the dead, and He's alive, and He lives in you, so you can be on mission with Him. So if you're a follower for Christ, you are called to be on mission with Jesus. Uh, this is the second in our series called Being a Minister for Christ. We're looking at Paul's instructions to Timothy uh, on how to be on mission with Jesus, how to be a minister for Christ. So let's go through the time tunnel to see if we can experience what Timothy must have experienced when he received this letter from Paul. When I began my ministry, pastoring the church in Ephesus, which was the largest and most influential church in the world at that time, many people felt like I was too young. Barely 30 years old, they didn't think I had enough experience to do the job. Others pointed out that I was an introvert and that I couldn't do this job that involved being with people all the time. Others said, you know, your health isn't very good. You're frail. You get colds a lot. I'm no match for the challenge. Now, they may have been right, but I want to share a turning point in my life. It was when I received a letter from the Apostle Paul. Paul was in prison in Rome. I first met him uh, when he came through our town, Lystra, as a teaching apostle. Uh, I learned about God from my grandmother and my mother, but Paul was the one who kind of closed the deal with me and my re relationship with Christ and taught me how to be on mission with Jesus. He was the one that I suggested that I take the church in Ephesus. Uh, I was young and I was new to this whole thing and would have never done it if it wasn't for his encouragement. 
I was feeling overwhelmed with my responsibility when I received this letter from Paul. Uh, Emperor Nero was uh, emperor of the Roman Empire. He hated Christians. So Paul knew that he was a marked man. Uh, sensing that God was going to take him home soon, he turned his focus to discipling me and other people like me. Um, as I read the letter, I learned that he was lonely. He felt like all other Christians had abandoned him in Rome. He said at his pre-trial, not one believer spoke in his defense. He was pretty certain he was going to lose his case and be put to death. So he wrote to me, the time for my departure is near. I'm going to be put to death. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. I thought, no, Paul, you're not done. You're not finished. We still need you. As I read that letter, little did I know it was the last letter I would receive from Paul. In fact, it was the last letter Paul would ever write. My eyes missed up every time I think about it. It is the most moving letter in the New Testament, at least for me. He wrote his final words of advice to me. So let's stop and come back through the time tunnel to today. 2 Timothy is not a letter just for pastors. God preserved it in His Word for all of us on how to serve Christ. If you've given your life to Christ, you are on mission for Jesus. At work, at home, at school, wherever you go. This letter gives you instructions on how you can make the biggest impact for the world, for you are called to be on mission with Jesus. In the first verses of this letter, Paul shares four major influences to being on mission for Jesus. First, be grateful for your parental upbringing. Now, Timothy writes, uh, or Paul writes to Timothy, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother, Lois, and in your mother, Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. Paul was not the first one to talk to Timothy about Christ. He learned about the scriptures from his grandmother and his mother. If you're a parent or a grandparent or hope to be one someday, don't overlook the importance of the influence you can have on your child spiritually. Chap Clark tells us that in North America, 85% of those who become Christians do so between the ages of 4 and 14. And of those who commit their lives to Christ after 14, the vast majority say they do so as a result of seeds sown in their hearts when they were younger. As people in Christ's church, that should be like a neon light to us. It's like saying, folks... Nearly the whole game is children and youth. We should do everything we can to help parents lead their children to Christ. And everything we can to see children come to know Christ in kids' space and at the youth group. 
We should plan events and camps where kids can invite their friends and see them come to know Christ. G. Raymond Carlson wrote in Leadership Magazine, We have discovered that those who make the best church leaders, those who hold important responsible positions over a vast number of people, are almost without exception people who have deep, long-standing roots in the faith. Very few of them were saved at age 35 or 40 and are now leading a large segment of God's family. Almost without exception, those who have been promoted to places of great responsibility can look back to godly parents and even grandparents who walked with God. And from them they learned, even from early childhood, the value of the church and the significance of the Scriptures. We must reach children early. Leading children to Christ at an early age does not mean it will be easy for you as parents. I was just talking with Jory this week. Uh, we have nine children, and it seems like no matter what the age is, there's always something going on. And I said, you know, it's tough being a parent. Boy came to his father and he said, Dad, most of the kids at school have cars. Can I have a car? And his dad thought for a moment. He said, Well, before I'd consider buying you a car, you'd have to do three things. One, you'd have to get your grades up. You've got you're getting like C minuses. You'd have to get them at least up to B's. Two, you'd have to start reading the Bible. I want you to know more about what's in there. And three, you have to cut your hair. Well, I didn't see his son for about six weeks, and then the son came to him one day, and he threw down his report card, and he'd moved his grades from C-minuses up to A's. His dad was impressed. He says, well, what about the Bible? And he rattled off the Ten Commandments, the Beatitudes of Jesus, and the parables, some of the parables, and his dad, again, was impressed. He said, what about your hair? He said, Dad, I've been looking at some of our picture Bibles, and uh, Jesus had long hair. His dad said, yeah, and did you also note that he walked everywhere he went? You say, well, I didn't grow up in a Christian home. My parents didn't teach me much of anything about God. Yes, but they helped you figure out who you were as a person, maybe helped you where, decide where to go to college and what vocation to pursue. I read an article a number of years ago about helpful guidelines for students trying to pick their major in college. It said if you graduate with a science degree, you ask questions like, why does this work? If you graduate with an engineering degree, you ask questions like, how does this work? If you graduate with an accounting degree, you ask questions like, how much will this cost? If you graduate with a liberal arts degree, you ask questions like, would you like fries with that? I mean, seriously, we have lots of students graduating today with no job in store with the degree that they got. If you're a grandparent or hope to be grandparent, don't underestimate the influence you can have on your grandchildren. With the number of two-weight household earners, it's almost impossible to get by on just one 
earner today. We have many parents who are overextended, overcommitted, and overwhelmed. According to George Barna, religious pollster, many Christian youth in good Christian homes spend fewer than four minutes a day in meaningful conversation with their mothers and less than three minutes a day talking with their fathers. Into this reality step grandparents, who usually have more time. Grandparents, carve out time for your grandchildren, particularly looking for what influence you can have on them spiritually. A second major influence for being on mission with Jesus is to find a discipleship relationship or group. Timothy was discipled by Paul. Paul writes, To Timothy, my dear son, I thank God whom I serve, as my ancestors did with a clear conscience, as night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers. He didn't just disciple him, he prayed for him daily, recalling your tears. I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. Paul was a good friend to Timothy. We have a number of discipleship groups in our church. Uh, the groups typically meet for a year. They study a discipleship uh, book or two. Uh, they pray for each other, and they usually become great friends. I meet with three guys uh, in, a, in such a group. I met with a, a different three guys last year. Uh, there are a number of leaders in our church that are actually looking for people to be in their discipleship groups. If you're interested, let me know. Of course, we have women's uh, discipleship groups, too. A third major influence on being on mission with Jesus is be passionate about your gifts, passions, and story. Paul writes, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. So Paul was chosen as an apostle by Christ. That's how he served Christ. All of us are given gifts to use in serving Christ. So Paul writes to Timothy, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. So Paul prayed with Timothy and he received spiritual gifts. God gives us gifts to use in service to him. It's important that we know what our gifts are. I talk about these in our starting point class. I hope to schedule one as soon as we get a little further past covid Paul, or God also gives us passions. God usually calls us to serve him in areas that we are passionate about. Uh, maybe you're passionate about children or about people with disabilities or people that have gone through sexual or physical abuse or people struggling with addictions or marriage or family. God also wants us to be on mission in something in line with your story. So now we have a GPS, gifts, passions, and story. When our uh, second son, David, graduated from high school, Jory and I volunteered to lead the senior mission trip. We took 27 graduating seniors to Russia, where Kidspire worked in uh, several orphanages. Our son David, on that trip, was so inspired uh, or, or moved 
by the, the, the needs of orphan children that he decided to become a doctor. And he would give uh, some time each year to helping with the neediest kids in the world. That same year, Jory and I went to Vietnam to adopt our eighth child, Jamie. While we were there, I got a call from Julie Yang, a member of our church. She was frantic in Kauai. She had four boys. Some of you know Ben, uh, our, our third son, who uh, goes to this church. Uh, and then her youngest son, Andrew, was eight at the time. He had gone up in a helicopter ride, and it crashed, and he died. She said, Ron, can you come and help me? Can you do the memorial service? And I said, sure. So I flew back. So Jory and I asked our oldest son, Tad, to take my place in Vietnam. And there, he was so moved by the plight of orphans that he determined that when he finished uh, law school, he would work with Jory in Kidspire. That is part of his story and how God's helped him to be on mission with Jesus. So the first major influence in being on mission with Jesus is our parental upbringing. The second is being in a discipleship relationship or group. The third is our spiritual gifts, passions, and story. And the final influence on being on mission with Jesus is to be confident in the power of the gospel. So Paul writes, for the Spirit of God does not make us timid. Timothy tended to be timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. Paul writes to Timothy, so do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord. It's easy in our culture where we're taught that we're not supposed to talk about God lest we be insensitive to other people, that we stop talking about Christ. Paul says, don't do that. Paul goes on, and do not be ashamed of me, his prisoner. He realized it was possible that some people might be ashamed that Paul, the leader of the church, was in prison. It's possible for us to be proud of Christ, but ashamed of other Christians because of what they say or do. Paul says, don't do that. When the consequences for spreading the gospel are persecution, imprisonment, martyrdom, being canceled, or losing your job, it's easy for Christians to become afraid to talk about Jesus. Paul says, don't do that. Be confident. He says to Timothy, rather, join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. There's power, he says, so you can be confident. That is why I'm suffering as I am. Yet this is no cause for shame because I know whom I have believed. This is one of the famous verses in 2 Timothy. And am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. Paul writes in Romans, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. Paul says he's not afraid to talk about the gospel because it's powerful. It changes lives. And it is for all who believe. 
We're taught in our culture that if you're born in a certain country, you're a Muslim. If you're born in another country, you're a Hindu. Paul says, no, no, no. Christ is for everyone in every country. The gospel is powerful because it saves us from our sins. Paul writes, who has saved us? The gospel is powerful because it saves us to live holy lives. The gospel doesn't just grant us forgiveness of sins, but it gives us power. We serve a living Christ. We have his resurrection power inside of us. So Paul writes to Timothy, he has saved us and called us to a holy life. We're supposed to be holy because God is holy. Not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. But it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. When we, may, when we serve Christ, we may feel like nothing is being accomplished. Sometimes it seems so difficult. But God promises us that when we share Christ, it'll never return void. In 1921, David and Svea Flood felt called by God to become missionaries, and they went to Africa, to the Belgian Congo. When they got there, they met another, they were from Sweden, and they met another Scandinavian couple, the Ericsons. And together they decided to go from the mission station out to a remote area. They came to a little town called Endelera. But they were forbidden by the tribal chief of living there. And so they went about a half mile up the road and built their mud huts. They had no contact with any people. The only contact they had was a little boy that the chief allowed to go visit them once a week to sell them chickens and eggs. And Sevilla Flood, a, a tiny little woman, four foot eight, she decided, if this is the only contact you're giving us, God, I'm going to do everything I can to lead this boy to Christ. And over a period of weeks, she did that, and he became a Christian. There were no other encouragements, though. Meanwhile, malaria was really bad at the time. I don't think we had a vaccine for it yet. And uh, the Ericsons got quite sick, and they finally gave up. And they left. And so it was just the floods in Endolera. And Sevilla got malaria more than once. And then she was pregnant. There they were, alone, in their little hut. The tribal chief was kind enough to allow a midwife to assist her. And she gave birth to a little girl. They already had a little boy, and they named this little girl Ina. Well, Svea didn't do very well after the birth. The, the birth was difficult. She'd already had bouts with malaria, and 17 days after Ina was born, Svea died. At that moment, something snapped in David. And he picked up his two kids. He went back to the mission state and he handed a little Ina to the Ericsons. He said, you take care of her. I obviously can't. God has ruined me and I'm going home to Sweden. 
And so that day he gave up his calling to be a missionary and gave up following God. Within eight months, the Erickens uh, got another sickness. I don't know what it was exactly, uh, but they felt like they could not take care of Ina anymore, and they gave her to a, an American missionary couple. And uh, they changed her uh, Swedish name uh, to a, a more American name, Aggie. And when she was three, they took her home to the United States. They loved the little uh, Aggie, and uh, they, they were afraid to go back to Africa because something might happen legally and they would lose uh, their little girl. So they transitioned from missionary work to pastoral work. And... Uh, Aggie's father was a pastor in South Dakota. That's where she grew up. Uh, as a young woman, she attended a, a Christian college in Minneapolis. And there she met and married a man named Dewey Hurst. Uh, God gave the Hurst a fruitful ministry. He was the president of a college, and then he moved to becoming president of a, a Christian college in Seattle. Um, so one day, uh, and, and Aggie was surprised how many, the Scandinavian roots of the college in Seattle. So one day she got a, 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 a Swedish magazine in the mail, and she was leafing through it. She couldn't read it, but she was stopped cold with a, a photograph of a primitive uh, uh, tombstone with the name Svea Flood. So she jumped in her car and drove to a professor that she knew could, could read Swedish. She says, what does this article say? And she said, it's about a boy who grew up in Endolera. And uh, he uh, was led to Christ by a woman named Svea Flood. And then she died after she'd given birth to a little girl. And uh, this, this boy grew up uh, and, and, got, and got the tribal chief to, to agree for him to establish a school there. And he led all the students to Christ. And eventually, the, the tribal chief became a Christian as well. They had 600 believers. So the sacrifice, David and Svea Flood, were not in vain. For the Hearst 25th wedding anniversary, the college presented them with a vacation to Sweden. And Aggie decided she was going to hunt down her real father. An old man now, her father had remarried, had four more sons, and, uh, but his life had just kind of fallen apart. He became an alcoholic. He had recently suffered a stroke. He was still bitter against God, and they had one rule in the family. Nobody mentions God, because God ruined me. Well, Aggie came back. She met her four brothers, had a great time talking with him. She said, I want to see my father. I said, okay, but you got to know, if you talk about God, he will fly into a rage. Well, Aggie was undeterred, and... She went and went to her father's house, and it was filled with, you know, 
beer bottles and, you know, wine bottles. And um, she found him. He's kind of crumpled up in a rumpled bed. And she said, Papa? And he turned over. He says, Ida, I never meant to leave you. I'm so sorry. She says, it's okay, Daddy. God took care of me. And at the mention of God, he stiffened again and turned back toward the wall. She said, Papa, can I tell you a story? It's a true story. You didn't go to Africa in vain. The boy you led to Christ went on to start a school, and there's over 600 people there that follow Christ. Papa, Jesus loves you. He's never hated you. And the father turned back to his daughter and his whole demeanor softened and they talked. And in the course of the afternoon, he, he gave up his anger against God. And they had a wonderful couple days together and then she had to go back to Seattle. And he continued to get worse and he died. A few years later, the Hearst were attending a conference in London, and a man from Zaire got up to speak, representing uh, the 110,000 believers in that country. Zaire it was the, the new name for Belgian Congo. And after she spoke, she, uh, Aggie went up to talk to him. He says, do you by chance know David and Svia Flood? He said, of course. They led me to Christ. And he said, you, Sphia is one of the most famous people in the Christian community in our country. Everybody honors her, reveres her. You've got to come back and visit our country because she is one of the most respected people in our country. David and Svea Flood were on mission with Jesus. They thought they'd accomplished nothing. But as a result of their efforts, thousands of people became Christians. In what was formerly the Belgian Congo, then became Zaire, and today is known as the Dem Democratic Republic of the Congo. Like the floods, you are on mission with Jesus. The first step to being on mission with Jesus is to give your life to Christ. And you can do that right now as we pray. Father, thank you for David and Sophia Flood serving you. We thank you for the Apostle Paul serving you. We thank you for Timothy being a minister for you and how you worked through all of them, spreading the news about your son, Jesus Christ. And Father, we want to be on mission with you, and we commit ourselves to that this week. And I invite you to pray right now. If you want to be on mission with Jesus this week and the, and the rest of your life, tell him that. Everywhere you go, you're going to be a representative for Jesus Christ. And if you've never given your life to Christ, you can ask him right now to come into your life, forgive your sins, and tell him you want to be on mission for him. You pray.
Lord God, thank you so much for sending your son into the world to pay the penalty for our sins so we can have forgiveness and a restored relationship with you. And God, we're amazed that you entrust your message of love and forgiveness to us. Help us to be on mission with Jesus this week. In Jesus' name.